We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Thursday, a couple hours before the Minnesota Timberwolves' final preseason game uh, of the preseason. I'm here in studio with Charlie Johnson. We're going to um, talk today about the main character of the preseason and the Timberwolves organization in general, and that's. Uh, that's Carl Anthony Towns. I think it's important for us to kind of figure out what our, where we're at with him going into this season, what we think he could be, what we think this team could be um, empowered by him, and just kind of how well that's all going to work. Both of us um, wrote about Carl this week, uh, so we kind of have that as in our in our back pocket. There, we're not going to do a full hour on Cat. We've talked plenty about him too, so. <laughs> Charlie and I put together a list of, I guess, prop bets, you could say, for uh, for the Timberwolves season, you know, kind of over-unders. Obviously, we have the, and we'll do this one, 35 and a half wins over-under for, uh, for the Timberwolves this year. And then just a bunch of other random sort of stats. Will so-and-so shoot X percentage above it or below it? And we'll just kind of rip through those and it's... It's a fun way to hold ourselves accountable to make ourselves look stupid. Yeah, for sure. We'll for sure come back and look at these and like do another <laughs> like, podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. We've got to be like this, this, uh, we were wrong. So we will probably be wrong in those, but you know, sometimes it's like you can say, oh, I think Jake Lehman's going to be a good shooter this year. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you got to kind of put a, I don't know. It helps to put a, put a number to that. So we'll get to those, but first I kind of wanted to just start with Kat and, uh, right before we were recording you and I were just talking and I was like, there's this, there's this backdrop or preamble to the season, uh, of and Carl's season and the Timberwolves season that 
Last year, he didn't make an all-NBA team, um, which really emboldened a narrative around him that he was not being recognized as as one of the elite, elite centers in the NBA, uh, whether that be a product of the Jimmy kerfuffle, Tibbs, everything. Um, it was just, it was he just didn't make the All-NBA team, and he didn't even really receive that many votes. Mm-mm. And I guess to, to you, do you remember back then, like, I feel like we were pretty shocked yeah. about that because we thought it was like 50-50, he'd make totally. it. Well, the shocking was, part was he didn't get a lot of votes. It was him and Rudy Gobert, and it was the same story around who was going to make the all-star team. Would it be Cat or Rudy Gobert as the last forward? And it was Cat, like, pretty uh, convincingly. So given that, you know, maybe not, the whole world didn't shift between the all-star game and the end of the season, it felt like it would at least be close again between those two. And then Rudy Gobert just won it hands down. And I'm not sure if that says more about... What happened over the last couple of year or the last couple of months of the season? Because the Jazz played great and Rudy Gobert played great. Or if that says more about the priorities of these voters for the different things that they're voting. Cat for. also went up from twenty four to twenty eight points per game on more efficient shooting. He had more assists. True. On an individual level, he really elevated his game too, which is why that's why I w- where I would have voted. Yeah, is is him over Gobert, but it wasn't even close. No, it, it totally spun the opposite direction, and. That's not worth relitigating again. We've gone over a million times that that cost Cat $32 million on this contract, um, which kind of changes the financial landscape for the Wolves, blah, blah, blah. We've been over that. I think I said this last week when we were talking, but I I can feel whatever Cat is thinking in his irritability that kind of, you can just tell he's ticked off. Yep. And not when he's, on the floor in between the lines like he looks almost too happy you know <laughs> with his teammates and jumping around and yeah. I mean remember at media day he was like literally frolicking around from camera station to camera station and he's he feels good I mean he's finally being I mean you use the word emboldened like he has never really been emboldened because right when he was coming into his own the Timberwolves hired Tom Thibodeau and then Tom Thibodeau brought in Jimmy Butler Mm -hmm. and he didn't get to be the 22 year old all-star who kind of has things revolve around him and gets to walk around with like that pep in his step and now he does it's it's almost like then when the camera's on him and he's out, out outside of between the lines, outside of that happy zone mm-hmm. where he, it all kind of comes rushing back to him. Yeah. This, I don't know if nightmare is too harsh of a way to put it, but um, literally, you know, the, the, the cameras and microphones and he's thinking about how these people don't think I'm good. Mm-hmm. They, they certainly didn't vote as such. And I, I don't, I doubt it's all that much about the money. Like, obviously that's a factor, but I know that Cat feels like he's the best center in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And then to not even medal, you know, gold, silver, bronze, yeah. like that, that's a, that's tough. That's tough, I think, for him to handle. And, you know, what I'm realizing is he's totally right to, to feel that way. And it's just a messed up system because the people who he's, talking to the cameras that he's in front of or us who are asking the questions, you know, then the scrums, one of us had a vote. 100, only a hundred people get a vote for the all NBA team, right? One Minnesota media, one person Minnesota got a vote. That's media person saying. got a vote who voted for cat, by the way, first team or third team, third team, got but 
Yeah. That's all Cat needed. Yep. Um, and then, but he only received 20 votes, 20, 13 votes out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. No, 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 nothing else. And guy, that's a shame. That's stupid. I mean, it's stupid. Yeah. Like, and, and here I'm going to call two people out who are stupid is Dennis Scott of Turner TNT. Mm-hmm. He voted for miles Turner mm. over cat. One and of those defense is 50% of the game guys, whatever it is. That's <laughs> stupid. And then there's some dude named Ken Lau from best TV <laughs> in China. Uh-oh. And listen, listen, here's some people who he voted over cat on his all NBA team. Dwayne Wade, Danilo Gallinari, that's uh, stupid. It's Andre stupid. Drummond. It gets worse. Marvin Bagley. What? So, again, I'm saying this. The system is stupid mm-hmm. because literally that guy is 1% of the vote for something that impacts salary, impacts Carl's life, impacts yeah. the Timberwolves, impacts everything. Yeah. I'm, it's I'm, a stupid system, and you have stupid people. Stupid. That There's no... Yeah, ands or buts. <laughs> Ken Lau is stupid, and it also impact you know impacts kind of like his clout and the confidence that he can have. I'm curious. Do you think that fixing such a stupid system means not having these votes eventually being tied to salaries or having them being voted on in a different way? Um, you, you need a committee. Yeah, you need a committee of people who know what the hell they're doing, and it's because it's important. If you are tying it to that, like. If the league is looking at this and says, Ken Lau voted Dwayne Wade for All-NBA second team last year and Andre Drummond for All-NBA second team last year and didn't put Nikola Jokic on an All-NBA team. Wow. I mean, not even Cat. Like, let's pull back. Nikola Jokic actually won All-NBA first team. Mm-hmm. This guy didn't even recognize that he should be on there. Like, if you don't, that's just, your people are too bad that you have voting. So, so put 10, 20, 30, whatever it is, put together a committee that knows they're doing it all the way the whole season. So they're tracking it the whole time. And then you have, you have your spreadsheet and you're like, you're thinking about who's my sixth man. Who's my coach of the year. Who's my all NBA defense second team. You should be thinking about that because even for the votes that aren't directly tied to a contract clause, like cats all NBA was, it still matters. What do we, what comes up every single time we talk about Robert Covington and why he's good. All, all defense, first team all defense. He's first, and coaches do that too. They mm-hmm. say it like well, it's, it's your just, it's your legacy too. I mean, if you, if you want to try to make a Hall of Fame case someday, that's going to really matter, and that matters. Your legacy matters totally. Like maybe not in the ba- in basketball in a game, but that's an important part of it. So it's all just stupid. So I'm saying I resonate with Cat. Yeah, in in that sense that this well, is we, we saw how bad the process was last year because it, it was a period of time when it was kind of trying to figure out who could be the one Minnesota media person to vote on this team. And it was like, you want to do it? You want to do it? You want to do it type thing? And that just doesn't seem smart. Because if you wouldn't have voted, because this is publicly available information. Again, Ken Lau of Best TV did this. Like, we know this. Mm -hmm. We know these people. No, Dennis Scott voted for Miles Turner, who, by the way, Kat cracked on, what was that, Tuesday night again, just like he dropped 23 on Miles Turner last season in Indiana in the first quarter. Like they, those aren't even comparable players. Miles Turner's good. Like I really, like Miles really Turner. Good. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's Miles Turner gonna be like a one two time All Star. Maybe. Maybe. I mean that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Whatever. It's <laughs> this is publicly available and it should be made. You know that well that that's a bad system too because then if you are um, 
if you're covering Giannis, you're a Milwaukee Bucks beat reporter. And you felt like James Harden was the MVP last year. Like, <laughs> what do you do? And you don't vote for it. It's publicly available. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, you're, you're outed. Like, so that's a whole nother side of the stupid, it's a stupid system. And I think Kat, for all of his flaws, is a smart person and gets all of it and is just, he just doesn't want anything to do with all of it, you know? I'm curious then, um, we've seen Carl Anthony Towns throughout his career get a chip on his shoulder and get like overzealous, you could say. A couple of times, one that really comes to my mind is the first time last year they went to play Jimmy Butler in Philadelphia and he's so pumped up and then they just lay an egg and that's something that's yeah. happened before and I'm curious if you feel more confidence by the fact that Cat, you know, maybe has this chip on his shoulder or if it makes you feel a bit cautious about his mindset. That's a good question. You're right. In well, in the playoffs, 2017-18, I mean, yeah, the playoffs scored as well. 9 points in his first game, mm-hmm. shot 3 of 13 from the field. Like yeah, I don't know, maybe he's too pumped up right now. Uh, I mean, he's looked, he's looked, he's looked good. He really really has. And something to monitor though. It's just, yeah, it's just something to, and what is most important is how he feels and how he's performing and what he is doing between the lines. And that's, I don't call it 90% of the equation, but this other 10% is, um, he's, he's just, he's upset about his perception. I feel like somewhat rightfully so. And I think this year is is about finding team success, but for him, it's just about in finding team success, also changing his label mm-hmm. of of what he is, and he's just basically like I, I think about it all the time. I was watching something before one of the Wolves game, the the Wolves Warriors game on MP, NBA TV, and they're they're having a whole MVP conversation, and they fill up the screen with all of these heads. I mean, it might have been. 15 different players yep. who are who are up on there, like down to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie. Or like a Paul know. George or something like that. Yeah, Paul George, yeah. like uh, Damian Lillard, all that. I mean, really good. But Cat's not on there, and he's never in those conversations. Uh, and I think he believes he should be, which just, again, it's just another thing that you're kind of throwing into the pot of, it's bubbling up. Yeah, it's, it's just bubbling up. Yeah. And um, maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. It does come off as overzealous. But I think this, in over 82 games over the whole season, I think it will be such a driving force. And I think the chip on his shoulder thing is real because I see it. Like, yeah, I see it in the in the way he's carrying himself. It's about, like, focusing that energy in, in a way that's positive. But... He also seems very positive in in his on court mm-hmm. interactions and all that, in his weird kind of cat way, where he's maybe a little over the top and yeah. all those things. But whatever, it, it's yes, it's definitely it is definitely something I'm monitoring. One of the most interesting things for me to you know think about for this upcoming season is because you said you know this season is about finding team success, which I agree with, but I think it's also about establishing a new identity that they can build on going forward. And I don't you know have a ton of confidence in the Wolves achieving much team success. So I'm really curious to see just how 
absurd and impressive Carl Anthony Towns needs to be individually, you know, especially as it relates to like the numbers he puts up to squash this narrative, even if the Wolves win fewer than 35 and a half games. Right. Because I don't know if he puts up 29. He probably and, can't. He, he probably, probably can't. Squ- can't. And, that's and I think a, he gets that too. But that's such a shame because he's on a bad team. He's on a bad team. Yes. The, like the, the players around him make up a bad team. So mm-hmm. I don't know how you can totally hold him to that standard entering a year when you're also not picking the Timberwolves to make well, the playoffs. Well, how about pay some, pay some attention to that. Apply some context yeah. to your analysis. I mean, I, I tweeted out that that whole that thing with Kendrick Perkins, Kendrick Perkins is still sleeping on Cat, and I'm sure everyone who's listened to this like heard that or quote or watched the video, whatever. Like, you know, that's fine. Sleep on the Wolves. You're right. They're, they are a bad team. And like, they very most likely will not make the playoffs and and cats don't sleep on a statement is a little over the top mm-hmm. probably a lot over the top whatever but he's a confident nba player who's flexing that yeah. which is no crime the the mistake in all of that is the way that they talk about the team and and Kendrick Perkins calls Andrew Wiggins Andre Wiggins and is talking about uh, Jerk and Robert Covington's name doesn't even come up and it's like I, I don't know like talk about the team talk yeah. about talk about what it what's actually happening well you're absolutely right don't just say oh he had empty stats and when he was and and his one playoff appearance didn't look good wait come on there's there's so much more context out there if you spend time to look for it. Yeah, it, it craves context because every time you hear, and I love this bashing on like people talking about our guy because Kat's our guy. But yeah, well, I'd like to think that, I mean, you and I, people who listen to this podcast know that we've spent plenty of time. Yeah, bashing Kat. Yeah, or, or holding him accountable mm-hmm. for his weaknesses. But every time you do hear one of these like broader NBA at large people who, you know, understandably doesn't pay as much attention to the Minnesota Timberwolves, they say something like, yeah, Kat... You know, it puts up great stats, but you gotta you gotta show that it can translate to winning. It's like it's not going to translate to winning. The one year that he had a good team around him, they made the playoffs. They were like the three seed for quite some time. They they didn't lay down against the Rockets. And sure, Jimmy Butler was the best player on that team. Absolutely. But that's not to say that Carl Anthony Towns was like chopped liver no. or whatever. Like whatever. It's it's silly. Um they aren't planning to empower him. And they're mm-hmm. planning to use them in a different way. And both of us in different ways talked about what's that, what's that actually going to look like on the floor. And kind of the key theme is that is that for that both of us wrote, and I don't think this is breaking news to anyone at this point, or particularly if you've watched a preseason game, the offense is inverted now. Cat is going to be living on the perimeter far more mm-hmm. than he has in the past. He's taken, of his 47 shots, he's taken in the preseason, 25 of them have been threes. Last season, by contrast, twenty-seven percent of his yeah, because the shots number it's like fifty-three percent in the preseason so far. Yeah, yeah double, like double. It's 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 different. Um, that's going to totally, obviously, impact the flow of the offense. Uh, we don't know if it will be good, if it will be kind of good, if it will be bad, whatever it will be. That's what it's it's going to look like, um, and the goal of it is to empower Cat, which. I believe it will. It's certainly going to allow him to take more threes, to have more touches, to have his usage rate only ascend further. Mm-hmm. Well, you wrote about, and it's something I hadn't really thought about, 
even though I feel like ever since Gershon Rosas has been hired, I've been trying to make as many cat James Harden parallels in my head as possible, <laughs> just naturally. Um, you wrote about cat really having added a step back three to his game. Yeah. And what I liked, he did that in the Indiana game, which I'm sure like 11 people watched because it was also not televised, but he did it. He had a, I mean, it looked smooth, looked awesome. He's, he has that, but what you pointed out is he's kind of been slowly adding it mm-hmm. over the past was two years? Basically last season, but you could kind of see it once in a while at the end of the 2017-18 season. But it is really amazing when you go back, because he attempted something like 15 step-back threes last year, but let's call it like four of them, something like four of them, that's a guess. We're actually like step-backs like you think of when you imagine a, yeah. a Cat James Harden parallel, where you're like making a move. Most of the ones that he was credited for as being step-backs were just instances when he'd catch the ball at 16 feet and dribble backwards. Literally and step three. backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Not, not necessarily a move. Right. But it's amazing how it's gone from, even when he did start to show it off, call it a year ago, it was so choppy and awkward and it's still like the defender was still able to get a good contest on it and now you watch him do it and it's clearly something that he's done 10,000 times yeah. in an open gym and it's so fast and it's it's clean now and it looks like you can't block that shot and if you do if you're getting to the point where you're playing him close enough to block that shot he's he's going to torch you he's going to blow right by you and it's really exciting to think about as you as you laid out in your article too if if he's really going to be operating from the top of the key for a ton of possessions every game, and that step back is something he can do two or three times every night, it's first of all just an incredibly efficient shot in general, but it also opens up so much for him and the rest of the offense that I'm excited to see how often he's willing to to put that into action. Well, I think two things about it. One, when you're catching it up at the very top of the key, you can't really be double teamed up there. Mm-hmm. Like, in the way when he's on the block, like you can effectively double team that, you know, without totally sacrificing defensive spacing. You're not going to, if you just decide to bring a double over to cat when he's standing on top, it's like, okay, I'll just pass There's the wide guy. open guy at the rim. Yeah. Like that won't be hard. Um, so I think that's one part of it. What I also like about specifically the idea of the step back is even if he has just one guy on him, I like that he can just get that whenever he wants, particularly particularly at the end of the shot clock. Mm-hmm. And I think when we think about the things that have plagued Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Teague, and Jamal Crawford over the past couple of years is just how gross those late shot clock possessions yeah. went, which happen. They just they happen in the flow of the game. The breakdown pass is tipped, whatever. All of a sudden, we're like... Uh-oh, six seconds on the shot clock, someone's got to do something. Joel Crawford was awful at it. Jeff Teague was awful at it. Andrew Wiggins was awful at it from an effectiveness standpoint. Now, in a flow of a five-out set with Cat, it's going to be pretty easy to just, if he's out on the perimeter, because he can't be doubled there, to just be like, all right, go at your guy. Mm-hmm. Or if, you know, if they really are collapsing in there and you're not going to be able to like get all the way to the rim or whatever, you're going to get a charge or something, one dribble in, step back. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like that's going to be a good shot. Yeah, absolutely. Like think about, I mean, we know he's a 40% shooter, so we can't anticipate that he's going to shoot 40% on step back three pointers with a guy in his face. Mm-hmm. But what I feel very confident in saying is the value of him doing that, even if it's, down, it's called 33%. Yeah. Like, 
Andrew Wiggins, Jamal Crawford, and Jeff Teague were doing that at less than 33% from two-point range. Yeah, exactly. It's just a way better option. Yeah, you can't be confident that he's going to do it at 40%, but I'm incredibly confident he'll do it above 30%, and that's a 45% true shooting. I think you make a really good point, though, that it's it's a move that he can pull out whenever he wants against any competition at any point during a game because he doesn't have another move like that. I mean, you can think of the post-up, but that requires somebody getting him the ball, and that yep. requires the defense defending him a certain way. For you can't, his, his jump hook is excellent. You can't just get to your jump hook whenever you want. Exactly. And so in, you know, I think that it's a valid overarching thing to think about with the Timberwolves is, is whether it really makes sense to to design an offense around a score first big man. And I think that that's a valid thing to think about in the long term, like a championship caliber team. If you're going to be going deep into the playoffs, how viable is it to have the center be the focal point of your offense? But if your center can do absolutely everything, and if your center does have a step back three that he can get to whenever he wants, it's just another way that it's you just, can squash At that, that point, narrative. it's not a center. Yeah, that's a, that's a right? good way of putting it. Yeah, like, And it's, it's different than Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. It just it is like because Joel Embiid, while he does shoot some threes, I mean it's he largely does need that pass, or he needs a little bit. He needs more time, and he might be better at on the inside. He might be better at a lot of those other things, but this is what Carl has that Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid do not, mm-hmm. and probably by a pretty large margin. He's a better shooter, and he's better better off the dribble than both of those. And if he can combine that, and use it in a way, whether it's late shot clock situations or just whenever he's feeling it, that is not only going to boost his numbers and boost who he is individually, it's going to boost the effectiveness of the entire roster. And that is the thrust of what's behind this entire inversion of, of the offense is putting Cat, not only putting Cat in spots where he gets the ball more often, but taking the ball away from players who aren't as effective offensively as him. Again, the the late shot clock situation, or you know what, just in general. Mm -hmm. Just in general, a cat opportunity is X percent better than anyone else. Well, we talked about it a lot last season was the idea of just get the ball to him, let it touch his hands like throughout the course of a possession because good things happen on the offensive end when Carl Anthony Towns touches the ball. And I think it's going to be a bit of an adjustment. So what that meant in Thibodeau's scheme was like, post him up, post him up, post him up. And I think it's going to be a bit of an adjustment to see God, him. just s- saying it just sounds so antiquated. It does. <laughs> Anyways, but I think it's going to be an adjustment to see him with the ball at the top of the key so often because it's going to be different. It's going to be well, a lot. And there's an opportunity cost to that too. Mm-hmm. Like he's awesome in the post. When you ha- can get him the ball there, and like certainly in one-on-one situations, like he's getting he's getting that jump oh. hook every time. If you yeah, if you don't double him on the block, he's gonna get a bucket. Right. So it's that that's what's been kind of uh, in just some of you know we've all been asking a ton of questions about you know how they're gonna use Cat, how he's gonna be a facilitator, where he's gonna be placed, all this and that. And what Ryan has said is this is kind of for the general flow of the game, but you might see more end of quarter, for sure, fourth quarter situations where they try and go to Cat a little bit more on the block. And I wonder I wonder if that's going to be awkward at all. Yeah. Like, how is that, how is that transition going to be if, if his post-up game is not a major part of the first three quarters 
And then now you're like, all right, it's there's five minutes left in the game. We're get trend, we're moved more into like a half court flow of the game, slowing it down. Do you just kind of go back to the same problem we had before? And then does that mean your offense yeah. is worse overall? I, I don't know. It's, that, in, it's I, the opportunity cost of this the move though, right? I agree, yeah. I don't know if I'd worry so much about like him not having a groove from the post because I think you could say the same thing about the defense. Like, What's the defense going to do when you've been running and gunning all game and all of a sudden Cat is on the block and like mm-hmm. you haven't been sending that double the whole game. You don't have that like groove down as a defensive system. And maybe that wouldn't be hard for them either. But it is interesting to think like if the whole goal was to get Cat out from under the basket because that allows the Timberwolves to have a better offensive system in general. Like, where, where is, the, is the logic in putting him back under the basket at the end of the game? Just the fact that, like, you know, maybe we're only down by one in a, you know, a 50% post-up shot is more valuable than a 40% three-point shot. Like, is that the only... Because I don't know. If you really think it's better to have him out on the perimeter, then why make it hard on yourself I think at the end of the game? I think just because the game changes. Yeah. I don't know. I've never... <laughs> I mean, it, it happens in the playoffs too. It does. Um, maybe just a greater commitment to defense in those times by the opponent. Uh, Sometimes you just need a bucket. I yeah. get that. And right. like cat on the block is one of the best ways in the league to get a bucket. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I, it's not going to be that he's never getting post. I mean, yesterday or in the game against Indiana, like he was, he got a lot of post ups. Mm-hmm. And so it will be. It will be dependent. He's not going to exclusively be used just standing up there at the top of the key. Like, yeah. he's going to get in to the nail to down into the block. Like, that's going to happen naturally in the you know in the flow of the game. It's just his bread and butter is now changing. I think. Yeah. If we if we lead that to mean where he's getting the majority of his touches and, yeah. and a higher percentage of his looks. Do you think he's actually going to shoot half of his shots from three? No, that would, I don't, yeah. that, that would shock me. That would, And half of your shots, I mean, that would probably mean either he's taking a crazy amount of shots or he needs to be taking more shots in general. Right. Like if he was eight of 16, like if eight, if he was taking 16 field goal attempts a game and eight of them were threes, I would say the eight is great. The 16 needs to be 22. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Because well, it's good no matter where it is. Yeah. Or it's, it's better than everything else. Exactly. Well, I'm curious, you were the one who asked Carl that question that got him to kind of like, not like really intelligently word vomit about what his role is going to be this year. And I think your question was basically, what's it was the, simple. I just said, yeah. what's, how does, how does your read change from the block as a passer? How does your read change from a post-up situation to the top of the key? Yeah. And I'm not sure that his answer or after you kind of dug into it and wrote a really good article about it, I'm not sure if that like, (laughs) you're welcome. It was really good. But I'm not sure if, uh, if you would have like, if there's anything you could have said that would have made you like concerned or anything like that. But after really digging through that quote, did you feel like it inspired confidence in you for how he might be able to do as a facilitator? Cause he, you know, he got better passing last year, but he's never, at least in the time that he's been with the Timberwolves, he's never really facilitated the offense. You know, though I, in, in going back after that, cause he started, he started describing specific actions mm-hmm. of times that as a, a passer. And so I, you know, I was going back and looking at his assists just over the past year or so, whatever. And he has been more than we think a facilitator or than I thought before I wrote that. Like there are, there are ample 
videos out there of plays where he has done exactly what we're describing as the change to be. Sure. He's caught the ball at the top of the key and he's he's looked to penetrate from there. And if the defense takes that away, you know, find a cutter or somebody sitting in the corner wide open. Like he's done that before. The change is that it's gonna happen more often. And I think he just needs to develop that ability to read there more. I think he, he particularly under Ryan, second half of the year, he got a lot better at being a passer out, out of the post. Because we know he had a lot of turnovers there before. He really struggled with it in that Houston series, getting those double teams, um, just kind of being blindsided by the double, right? Mm-hmm. But he did a good job of like, being more patient on those catches, knowing that the double's coming, waiting for the defense to overcommit and find the skip pass, find the cutter. He got he got good at that. It's just that that's a fairly simple read. Like, think about it. If you're on the block, you got the ball, you got your guy on you, and you got a double team coming from the baseline. Like, really, you can just turn over. If you're on the right block, you can turn your your on your left shoulder and you can skip pass it or you can kick it back out, or you can find a cutter. It's just really that one look. Like, literally, you're looking in that direction. Now that he's at the top, I mean, there are way more reads. And that's what my question was about, is, you know, how many more are there? How, we know for a fact, now you're looking at kind of all three quadrants of the floor. How how big, how much more does that volume increase of, of your reads because the more reads you have, the more difficult it is to kind of process and yeah. be able to to do that. So I don't know. It was a good answer. Really good. Like answer. he said, he said all the right things, but it's going to be, we need to see him be able to do that on a high volume and be able to be a facilitator of the offense in that way. Because even though he's good passing out of there, he's always had been, had good, decent vision and, this is going to be so much more and they can't afford, if he's going to be there a bunch, they can't afford him to have the the turnovers there. They can't afford, you know, they can't afford him to not be great at that if they want to be a good offense. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be required because the step back's great. Can't do that every possession, you know? No. (laughs) Like there has to be some, you know, some, some flow there. And, um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be the the difference in a really good cat year and a great cat year because mm-hmm. that's what Giannis did. We think about, we think about all of Giannis's scoring magnetized and how, how dynamic of an offensive scorer he became. He also averaged six assists a game last year. And it's a little bit different because he, you know, he's doing the run up, yep. like kind of the bull coming in there, but he didn't always just bull to the rim. I mean, six assists a game. It was it was it was huge, and the other one that I'm that's kind of using it as a comparison is Blake Griffin, but Blake Griffin was more of actually like a point guard, point guard, and like yep. a, I'm going to take you off the dribble in in that sort of way. But they both did that so great, and it's why it was Blake Griffin's best year of his career. It was Giannis's best year of his career because they not only were dynamic, the dynamic offensive scorers they already were, they were also elite distributors. Yeah given their position, they're putting Cat in the, giving him the opportunity to be great there. 
we just need to see if he can execute on that. Yeah, it is kind of an interesting notion that, you know, he's such an incredible scorer and he has all of this work to do on the defensive end. But what could define like the success of his season is how good of a passer he can be. That's that's interesting. I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought about that, but I, I kind of agree with you. Well, it's just because like the the scoring efficiency is kind of a given. Yeah. Like, and we shouldn't take that for granted because it's that takes a lot of work in itself. But I mean, it would be just completely jarring if all of a sudden. Oh no! Now Cat's only uh, making thirty-two percent of his threes, and he's not as dynamic. Like that's just not going to happen. It's no. It's it's adding it's adding to the bag, right? Adding yep. to the offense, and it's crazy that there's room to improve on what is already one of the best offense players in the league. Yeah, but this is how you do it. Yeah, is by in, by being empowered, also empowering your teammates, because it's hard to say that Cat has made so-and-so better at any time in his career. This, inverting your offense and using it in this way could make it so he makes Andrew Wiggins, Jake Lehman, Jarrett Culver. Yep. Those guys are playing way better when they're on the floor with Cap because of what he does for them. Yeah. Basically, the only purpose he was really serving that benefited his teammates in the past was he would get double teams. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're just a little bit, one guy's a little bit more open. I mean, on a really basic scale. But like, can you do more than that? Yeah. Can you can you create the pressure that alleviates pressure for your teammates? And I think this will allow him to do that. Totally. And to I mean, it, that kind of brings it all back full circle a little bit to what we were talking about at the beginning. And if he can, you know, maybe even if the Timberwolves don't win 46 games and snag the eighth seed, if he can really drive a narrative where he is helping Jake Lehman have a career year and he is driving Jarrett Culver up the rookie of the year rankings, then maybe that is a way that he can start to change that national narrative. I, I think so. I think it is the way. It yeah. is the easiest path to changing his perception. Um, I want to do these prop bets or whatever we're calling them. We put together a list of like 10 questions over under um, for individual players on the Wolves. Um, and the Wolves as a team. The most obvious one, that as this is going to be our last podcast before the season actually starts, we need to take a stand <laughs> on the over-under of 35 and a half mm-hmm. um, for the season. Where are you at on that? Oh, you want to start with Let's it? Let's do it. Okay, the, there were a number of these that were really hard for me, but the team ones were, were the hardest. I think that this 35 and a half wins, you know, as Vegas is wanting to do, is right on. It was tough for me, but the way that I thought about it was by contemplating where I think they'll finish in the standings. Yep. And I think That's how I did it too. I think that they're my guess is that they'll finish 12th ahead of the Suns, the Grizzlies, and narrowly edging out the Kings. So or, you got OKC up there. I do. I, th- I, d- I don't, I'm not going to predict a bunch of trades. And I think that on paper, OKC has a hands down better roster cool. than the Timberwolves. Um, so that made me go back and look at like, you know, so what's 12th place in the Western conference generally? <laughs> Is this what you did? Yeah. <laughs> so no team since no 12th place team in the Western conference since 2010, 2011 has won more than 35 and a half games. And that was the warriors yeah. who won 36 since then. It's been the 12th place team in the West has won 26 games, 31, 34, 30, 30, 32, 27, 33. That leads me to just based on the strength of the conference and the fact that they have to, you know, stack up against all those teams. It, my money's on the under. The the twelve seed on average over the past five years has gone thirty point five and fifty one point five. So sure. thirty and a half. Yeah, yeah. Years. 
Well, we spend too much time together, man. (laughs) (laughs) The difference, though, if you move up to the 11th seed, Mm. is over the past five years, that team is on average 35 and 47. And I do have the Wolves ahead of Phoenix and Memphis and ahead of OKC and ahead of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. So that puts me in the 11 range. I now need a little extra juice in there for taking that annual average of being 35. And I think you can, and I, I don't, I need to write, run some sort of regression on this, but like there, there's one wave of thinking that says there's so many good teams on the West and you play your own conference more, you're going to beat up on each other. There's the other side of it that you still play all the Eastern conference teams twice and they suck. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to believe that this is really going to be a year where there is a staggering difference between total wins in the East versus the West. Particularly, I mean, Milwaukee and Philly, I think they're going to get theirs at the top of the East for sure. After that, I mean, it it might be a really low win total for the three, four, five teams there. Or... that's what I'm kind of betting on. Yeah. Is is that the rest of these teams, the East kind of feasts on them, including bad, quote unquote, bad teams like the Wolves mm-hmm. or OKC or Dallas, whatever, non-playoff teams. I think it's going to be, I think the teams are going to be up there. And and I don't think that 36 is that many. No. To, it's the same thing the Wolves won last year. It's the same thing. They won last year, and like, yes, the West is better, for sure. But isn't a lot of that just due to the fact that the top of it got a lot better? Yeah, I think in general, but I mean, it is deeper as well. Like when you look at like the Lakers missed the playoffs last year, and Mm -hmm. then they got Anthony Davis. The Pelicans were terrible, and now they look like they could be pretty Mm -hmm. frisky. Um, I think you make good points, though. I, I also think at the top of the West... I don't think there's like going to be a team that gets like 63, 64 wins. Like I think so many of those teams, particularly as all of them have this vision of winning actually the championship, they're going to be conscientious of how much they're playing. Obviously Kawhi Leonard, but also, but then Anthony Davis. Yeah. And And even James Harden. I mean, those guys, like I think there's going to be games that, you know, the Lakers just lose because they're resting those guys. Or, you know, I think every everyone who's a contender should be considering that because that's a we have some math to suggest that that's a good strategy for yeah. winning the championship. Yep. Is I don't think they're going to obsess over gunning for that number one spot. Yeah, in in the West, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. So. I think in the aggregate, the West is going to have a lot more wins and that the distribution, it's going to be, it's not going to be as high. Mm-hmm. And then therefore you have a little bit more meat in the middle. And then the wolves are kind of biting out into the scraps of that, of that meat there to fatten up to 36, 37. I think I'm, when I'm, my final pick is going to be 37 wins. I Which like I believe is a lot higher than everyone. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the flaw in my logic is that generally the 12th base, 
12th place team in a conference is going to be tanking by the end of the season. And maybe not even at the end of the season, like it might be halfway through the season that they start tanking because generally teams know by then that they're bad and that they're not going to make the playoffs and that they're better off pushing for, you know, a better spot in the lottery. And maybe that's what ends up happening with the Timberwolves. But I do feel like there is a world where even I think the belief in the Timberwolves front office is they're going to be too good because of Carl to be able to tank this year. And that's exactly, and maybe it's not even on the front office. Maybe it's just the fact that you have Carl Anthony Towns, but that's kind of what I was getting is that I don't think the Timberwolves are in a position to tank. So that yes. could, even though they're 12th, they could be a, not unique, but like a rare 12th seed. That's really still pushing for it mm-hmm. either because they have a front office that isn't motivated to tank or more likely because they have one player that's just too good. Right. I, but I'm sticking with my under. And what's the what's your what's your number total prediction? Thirty five. Thirty five. So you got thirty five. I got thirty seven. It is. It's a good. It's a good number. Like mm-hmm. Vegas put it. I don't. I can't remember any time in the past. Certainly since I've been writing about the team, any time I've even considered the over. Like the, the under has been the most obvious bet to yeah. me. Yeah. You know that one year with they didn't make the playoffs. And they actually won 48 games and got the AC, but it was 47. 40. It was 48 and a half, though, wasn't it? It was 48 and a half. They won 47. They won 47. So yeah. they, but they were on, I mean, that exceeded my expectations and they or exceeded, I think a lot of people's expectations still hit the under. I, I've just, the under, the Wolves have consistently been over believed in by quote unquote Vegas, mm-hmm. which is the public. Um, and I don't know. I guess this is the first time I actually believe in what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. In the past handful of years. Yeah, so. I'm with you. I mean, we're two wins away. Like, it's not, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not much. Right. Um, along those lines, though, I guess we can... Let's do these kind of simultaneously. You set it at over-under 10th in offensive rating yep. and over-under 24th in defensive rating. Yeah, I set it at 10 because I think that that's uh, just... It's right around where they've been the last few years. They hover between like seventh and thirteenth, and I think it'll be a sign. It's it's a, just a sign of an elite offense. Like, do you think the Timberwolves will have an elite offense, or do you think they'll teeter more toward just a, a, a quite good offense? Um, so I just thought tenth place was a good place. Right, I, I do too. And I think just to tie this to the win thing too, tenth and twenty fourth, if that's what they are, that is over thirty five and a half wins. Is it for it's, sure? Well, so last I didn't, year I didn't look. And it's it's a little bit messy because you have like Eastern Conference teams, but Charlotte was 11th in offensive rating and 23rd in defensive rating, mm-hmm. and they had 39 wins. But just a little bit even higher than that, this is sixth and 20th San Antonio last year, 48 wins. Like, yeah, I do think the difference between sixth and tenth is a lot is bigger big. than the difference between right. 20th and. 24th. But also, 48 is a lot higher than yeah. 35 and a half. Yep. So. I don't know. I guess I'm just digging for more, <laughs> more belief in, in my in my overcall. That, well, but I was going to look that up. I, that's informative to hear. It's kind of hard to to be able to. The, the year before that, 2017, 18, um, this was before Milwaukee really took the jump. They were 10th in offensive rating and 18th in defensive rating, and they won 44 games. Yeah. Again, Eastern Conference, a little bit of a different NBA landscape, whatever. Denver, that 2017, 18 year where they played the Wolves and the the game to make it to the playoffs and mm-hmm. didn't they ended up being the nine seed they were sixth in offensive rating and 23rd in defensive rating 46 wins yeah so again you're right that six is a lot more than 10th uh, yeah in offensive rating but yeah good just, contact. just that i yeah. think i think think 
10th, 24th suggests like maybe a 38 win team. But what are you taking? 10th? I, <laughs> I should have put it at 10.5 because <laughs> I, I want, I think they're going to be about the 10th ranked offense. So it's really hard for me to pick an over under. I'm going to barely, t- or this is not even an over under on this because like the, then the wording gets weird. Yeah. But I'm going to take better, better than 10th. I think they'll be like the 10th ranked offense, but huh. I'll just say 9th. I just think that if they really are going to play with this pace and if they really are going to embrace the analytics of, smart shot distribution Mm -hmm. and they have Carl Anthony Towns. Mm -hmm. I just think that's, you know, even with all the the holes that can be poked around him, that's about the 10th best offense. So last year for some context, 10th in offensive rating was Boston. 11th was Charlotte. New Orleans was 12th and the Wolves were 13th. Mm -hmm. And I kept, when I was looking at this stuff, kept coming back to Charlotte as like an example of, I mean, we rip on Charlotte. They weren't anything special the past handful of years, but it's kind of the same thing, right? With like Kemba in the cat role, mm-hmm. like this one guy and a bunch of role players who are like maybe okay, but largely pretty underwhelming. And I, I just feel like that's kind of the parallel to make is is that the Wolves are, are kind of going to be that team, but in the West. I don't know how, how much worse would have Charlotte been in the West the past few years. Probably a lot. I, I, it's it's hard. It's 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 hard to know exactly. Looking at it, I'm I'm gonna go that they're gonna be worse than tenth. Not by much, maybe like twelfth or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm actually on the other side. I think they're gonna be better than twenty fourth. Oh, okay. I think uh, they're gonna be worse than twenty fourth. So we're on the opposite side of both of these. Yeah, I like that. So so here's my my defensive rating, um, but my reasoning. I think there's going to be schematic consistency. I think we know exactly what that's going to be, but it's going to be 82 games of the same coach, the same scheme, something they're really committed to. That's interesting really that committed you say to. that, though, schematic consistency, because we've talked throughout this offseason about the chance that their defense is really about being but schematically that, adaptable. But Okay, but even be... Be consistent in your adaptability. Sure, okay, you know what I'm sure. saying? Like yeah, I guess I know what you mean. It's a, your identity. Yeah. Like, what is your defensive, like, identity? And, I mean, I guess they kind of had a defensive identity with, like, Tibbs. It was a lot of the, the, the same, and it didn't work. They've been 24th or worse the past four years. Mm-hmm. So that is certainly a strike against them. I just, I, I this is more so a belief in, like, six or seven or eight teams being really bad at defense, like really bad at defense yeah. more than it is that I think the Wolves are going to be good. So here, here it is last year. New Orleans was 22nd. This is defensive rating. New Orleans 22nd, Charlotte 23rd, Minnesota 24th, Chicago 25th, New York 26th. So think about those teams. Mm-hmm. Consistency does not come up for en- in your mind for any of those teams outside of Charlotte. New Orleans 22, Anthony Davis blew everything up, yeah. Jimmy Butler style, yeah. like basically. Charlotte, okay, you got 23rd, and they're pretty much the same team, you know, but all worse. along. The Wolves, 24th, fired their coach halfway through the season uh, and hired a new coach who actively wanted to change the scheme and was struggling to. Yep. Chicago fired their coach in the middle of the season. They were 25th. And then New York, 26th. They just sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't... I feel like there's going to be coaches are going to get fired. A, a lot of Eastern Conference teams are going to be really bad. 
And I think it's just going to be, you're going to have this little like five team cushion that it's going to be like, how could we possibly be worse than Charlotte this year? You know, defensively, like how, how is that? I just feel like they're, they're going to be propped up in that sort of way. And then with some consistency, they could be better than 24th. Yeah. Are you, are you confident that it'll be considerably better or like no. <laughs> 22nd or something? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm close on both of those. Like, I think I'm going to go like 12th in offensive rating and like 22nd in defensive yeah. rating. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, a uh, smart way to think about it, just the fact that there might be some really, really bad defensive teams this year. I also think the Wolves are going to be terrible at defense when Cat's out of the game. This yeah, year. and so that's kind of my biggest thing is that I don't think they're going to be amazing when Cat's in the game, if only because they seem like they're going to play so fast. They're just going to give up so many points, um, and they're not. it doesn't seem likely that they'll have some great transition defense. Maybe, who knows? But if this pace really is what's driving their season, then I think it's going to make defense hard. And when Cat's not in the game, then I think the defense is going to be terrible. Right. Um, let's do a couple individual player ones, starting with Cat. Like it. And we set the over-under for his points at 20. I couldn't find these on Ve- Vegas. No, they're not out. They're so not up yet. We, we just chose line. You chose the lines. Let's say Let's move it up by 0.5 so that there's actually like a... Okay. Well, I guess it's points. So yeah, no, that's, that's fine. fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's never, fine. never mind. Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight points over. What about you? I'm under. Okay. And again, just kind of trying to take in past season context. Mm-hmm. Only one player in the NBA last season averaged over twenty-eight points per game last year, and it was James Harden. Mm-hmm. Second was Paul George, who was at twenty-eight even. But both of those guys played thirty-seven minutes a game, and I think that. In all of Cat's counting numbers, working against him is the notion that he's not going to be playing that many minutes. Like he's going to be a right, like a 32, 33, maybe thirty-four. Is that, are you saying guy. that because of foul trouble or just because he's a he's a big man? Probably both, but sure. largely foul trouble. Like yeah. there's nothing outside the preseason he hasn't really fouled, but like nothing in his career tells me that poof massive foul trouble issues are going to go. I mean, he literally had the most fouls in the league last year. No, probably not. But, I mean, he has played a lot more minutes than 32 before. He's played, like, th- didn't mm-hmm. he play 37 minutes per game during, yeah, 37 during his second year? Uh, yeah, under Tibbs. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He probably won't play 37, but I could see it being 35. Yeah, I... If he, it, that's with the caveat that he does kind of. I mean, out if the he plays 35, thing. then, yeah, it's, I, I think it's going to be close to, yeah. to 28, but I think... I think that's what makes the difference is how much are you going to play him and how much is he going to, and then mm-hmm. connect to that is how much is, is he going to foul? Like he can still have an awesome offensive year and average 27 and a half points totally. per game. And that's yeah. kind of more what I'm thinking. Yep. Yeah. I, I just think if you talk about like who's set up to average 28 points per game, it's a guy like James Harden who, who, whose offense is built around him and who's just given the freedom to say, all right, go out and do your thing every night. And I sure think Carl Anthony Towns is going to be given that freedom this year. And I just, so do you think Carl Anthony Towns will be second in the NBA in scoring? Um, I mean, I, I haven't gone through every player. And so looked. Giannis, Giannis and Embiid were both at like 27 and a sure, half. Sure. It would year. not surprise me if Cat was second in the NBA in scoring. Not one bit. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's hot by by yeah. any means. There, like, it's just that is. It's a lot. That's yeah. That's that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a ton. I'm kind of nervous now, but yeah, I. It, it. It's hard to choose these things without past context. So I'm definitely relying on that a lot mm-hmm. more than 
what I've like seen in preseason or what I'm guessing is going to happen. 27.5 would be so many points. That's the thing. So he averaged 28.1 after the all-star break. Yeah. 23 before that. That's where I got that number from. Yeah. I mean, that's something. Four and a half assists. This one was hard for me. I'm going for cat for cat for cat. I'm going over on this one as well. I, I just think that he's going, even if he doesn't have an incredible passing season, he's going to be given so many opportunities to create assists. And he, he only has to average one more than he did last year and like 0.5 more than he did under Ryan. What did you look up what he averaged under Ryan or after yes. the All-Star break? Um, yeah, so it's All-Star break, so it's not exactly Ryan. But um, pre-All-Star break, 3.2. Post-All-Star break, 3.8. Sure. So point I point seven more than that. I just think based yeah. on usage, the math just checks out. There. Yeah, I I'm over on that too. These were the the top six bigs in um, assists per game last year. Nikola Jokic seven point three, Draymond Green six point nine, Giannis five point nine, Blake Griffin five point four, Mark Gasol four four, Al Horford four two. Like he can have more assists mm-hmm. per game than Mark Gasol and yeah. Al Horford. Like I think that's. Agreed. I mean, think about how much many more touches he's going to get than than th- those guys did. So I, I think that's pretty safe. I don't I don't think it gets up into the like Giannis Blake Griffin range again because I think those guys are more like actual point guards. Cat is like this distributing pawn at the top of the offense, which is different than a point guard. And Ryan has said like, "There's all this talk about him being a facilitator." We still have a point guard, and the point guard is your best decision maker, and he decides to give the ball to Cat. Yep. Like, Cat is not a point guard. Yeah. Ryan, like, directly has, has said that. So, whereas, like, with Blake Griffin, I, I mean, like, I don't know. It's, it's positional distinctions are weird. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, Jarrett Culver, 25 and a half minutes per game. I over, said, under. I said over. Um, especially given just the decent probability that by the end of the season, maybe they're not tanking, but maybe they're making more of a long-term decision. And even if Jarrett Culver is averaging 23 for the first three months of the mm-hmm. season, and then he averages 32 for the last two, I just think there's such a great chance that he has some stretch of a couple months throughout the season where he gets a ton of playing time. That Didn't even if Josh Okogie average over 25 again? I think it was like 23. I can look at right up. after oh. like being very playing. Yeah, not a lot. Early. I think it's 25 is pretty easy. And my my reasoning was if you look at the fifth through ninth picks last year, Trey Young, Mo Bamba, uh, Wendell Carter, Colin Sexton and Kevin Knox. So they were all kind of they were drafted in the range that Jared Culver a year ago. They were drafted in the range that Jared Culver was drafted in this year. And Trey Young had 31 did 31 minutes per game. Wendell Carter had 25. Colin Sexton, 32, Kevin Knox, 29. Mo Bamba was un, would be under. He did 16, sure. but he was a he had a terrible year. Yeah. Um, and came off the bench the entire time. Like, I guess all of all of Trey Young, Carter, Sexton, and Knox were starting the majority of the year. Uh, so that's probably gonna be factoring into it. But kind of my operating assumption is we're gonna get to a point at some point this year yeah. where where Culver does start is a night-to-night starter or most nights starter. So is that my worst set over under then? Yeah, I mean, I would, I don't know. What would what, you what, put it at? 30? Well, well now would you take over under 30? I would take under 30. Okay, so. I'm at 28 maybe. Not terrible. Yeah, I guess okay. like my guess, I don't know. My, my guess would be that he's like 27. Okay. It's a lot. That's. But fewer than most of the guys you just listed. I mean, yeah. most of those guys were in the 30s. I, I think there's, I mean, you look at Trey Young, there is just, 
ample opportunity. When he came in and it was like uh, Jeremy Lin, <laughs> I mean, who else was he? Yeah. Like there was just not a, there was not a lot there. Wendell Carter got to start from from day one for them. Mm-hmm. And he started every single game until he got hurt. And then Colin Sexton, again, I've, I've said this many times, but I think what Colin Sexton did last year, which is he came off the bench the first 10 games and then started the final 72. That's kind of what I'm seeing from from Culver. And, and Kevin Knox sat the first 25, basically started the final 57. But if the Wolves are as bad and irrelevant as the Knicks, then that's a whole different, <laughs> whole different problem. Um, our last one we had... I'm just going to kind of combine these all together. Okay. Over under 33% shooting from three for Jake Lehman, Jarrett Culver, and Trevion Graham. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am very curious to hear your take on this, but I'll go first. The only one that I had over was Trevion Graham. <laughs> the other, I'm inverted. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, interesting. So I think that I'm just, you know, basing it on all... F- past evidence, I think that Travion Graham has... It's going to change once you start watching him shoot more. I really think you will you will watch 15 games of Trevion Graham and what his jump shot looks like. But at what point change your perception. do you have to say that? Dude, he's like, going to bomb him, man. He he. This dude's looking at his chops to, to play and have a big role in this. I'm not even saying that's bad, but yeah. you've seen that in preseason. He's like, ooh, one-on-one opportunity, barrel to the rim. Like, And I think that's going to translate to the three-point line where he's not going to be shy and I just don't think I totally just bombarded your your take here but no 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 <laughs> I, I just don't <laughs> think he is the quality of shooter I think I think we will think of him closer to the quality of shooter that Josh Kogi is than we will of even Culver and Lehman that's interesting I mean yeah, I agree his shot isn't perfect, but like at what point do you just have to say that he's made 36% of like almost 300 three-pointers in his career and that's like pretty solid. Yeah, but I think the you, you got to look at the role, you got to look at the shots that he was taking there. I think this is going to be I, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a a chance to shoot a lot of them and and volume as we know, like volume within a game mm-hmm. decreases your effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's you know going to happen to him. I think his role will be more similar to what he had in Brooklyn last year when he shot 29%. You know, and I, I, I guess maybe he's battling some injuries there. I'm not saying like way under 33. Yeah. It's just, I think we're going to, we're gonna, you know, just that feeling when a guy steps up, catches and shoots for a shot where mm-hmm. you, you just have a feeling about it. Yeah. And like, <laughs> we've kind of got that feeling with an Andrew Wiggins 18 for you're like, oh, like, it's gonna be more like that. Yeah, sure. With Trevion Graham, whereas I think, I think Culver will adjust to the three point. I don't think he'll be like shooting the lights out right away. It might be kind of messy at the beginning. I think without preseason, I would have taken the under on this with Jake Lehman, but just kind of from some conversations I've had with people in the Wolves and from just watching him, uh, I think it's a better shot than I initially anticipated, which has me thinking it's going to be over thirty three percent. The one caveat I'll put in that is he might shoot a ton. Yeah. Like he might be taking some tough ones. Is that kind of why you put him under? I think he's going to take a a lot of tough shots. I also think he's a career 30% three-point shooter. And this is also me going a little bit back on, I've been, I I thought he was going, I would have, if you would have asked me three weeks ago, I would have said, I think he's going to be above 33%. But a little bit like Trevion Graham, Jake Lehman does not have a great looking shot. I, I have... I agree with you. I probably have a little more confidence when he puts it up than when Trevion Graham puts it up, but it's not a ton. And besides the first half of last season, he's never shown it. So this is more about me. Like if I was really going to put my money down, 
it's hard for me to put it down on Jake Lehman taking a big jump as he, you know, plays probably a similar role to what he did during the first half of the season mm-hmm. in Portland last year. Maybe sure. that means he does get the groove that allows him to to shoot really well like he did for a while, but maybe it just means I'm, that I'm just I'm not giving as much credence to the cre- the but it's all we have. And it's not all we have. We have we can watch that. I mean, I, I think when it's as limited of a sample as as we have with all three of these guys, mm-hmm. like I, I agree with you. Like a normal, like if they would have just signed like a thirty year old shooting guard, we could rely on the percentage there a lot more. This ever they've been on different teams playing at different roles. All, th- all three of them. I mean, even Jared Culver, his freshman year, sophomore year is different. Mm-hmm. Like Trevion, Trevion Graham, Charlotte was one thing where he shooting super low volume of threes. He made 40% of them. What was he shot? Like 0.8 per game or something? Yeah. And he made even more than that. I mean, you can also yeah. point to like he got injured last year. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's, I, I think that's fair. I'm just saying, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe there is more correlation to just watching how a guy, his, his his numbers, his historical numbers, even if the sample size is small, maybe that's a better indicator to future success or correlator to future success. I just think, in my opinion, it's watching the jump shots. And we have, and I know you and I both have done that. We can watch that. We can watch with Jake Lehman, what those mm-hmm. shots looked like last year. We can watch what Jarrett Culver, we have watched what Jarrett Culver's shot has looked like. I mean, I think that's and I don't know, maybe I'm raging against a little bit too much of this. Everyone thinks Culver's going to suck at shooting because he shot 30% <laughs> last year. Like, I, maybe this is an, an over correction for that. But um, I really don't think he's going to be a great three point shooter this year. My thought process was I imagine Jarrett. And neither do I. I'm taking like 34 for these guys. Yeah. So I actually imagine being encouraged by Jarrett Culver's three point shooting, but he shoots 32%. And yep. you just say, okay, there was some decent volume. He didn't. He wasn't as bad as like Keita Bates-Diop or Josh Okogie were in their rookie year. Mm-hmm. Like it looked like his form got a little bit better and a little bit smoother throughout the year. Like there's something to build on there. I don't imagine it being a bad thing, but I imagine it being below 33%. I agree. It, it's it, it's going to depend on what the shots were and what the, it's going to require watching. Yeah. You know, it's... Trevion Graham, 55% from three in the preseason. <laughs> <laughs> No small sample there. <laughs> Maybe I... I'm just messing with you. <laughs> yeah, is he going to start? I don't even know what's what's oh. going on there. It's um, They seem like they like him. I think I think Ryan has a similar to his Lou Aldang. Shout out Lou Aldang retirement. Yeah. I think he has a similar affixation with Graham as he did with Lou Aldang. That's just kind of the vibe I got. Yeah. And and Graham's, you know, he's got he's been there. He just strikes me as a guy, and I've heard that he's been playing really well in camp. Like, can't you see this dude who's been in the league for like four years just kind of beating up on a lot of these like hungry. I mean, you watch Trevion Graham, like a hungry guy in practice like that. Like, I'm not surprised he's been killing it. Yes. I also like Trevion Graham too. I'm excited about what he could do. Yeah, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not (laughs) making it sound like I'm out on Trevion Graham. I just think when we're lining up his skill sets, shooting is not one of the, one of the top ones. Those are our over under prop bets, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we, we should we need to write these down and like put them in a so we don't we don't lose it so we can go back to it. And I'm sure you listening have thought I was stupid or Charlie was stupid with this. I don't. We're guessing. Yeah. These well, are. I'm glad that we guesses. disagreed on so many of these. Yeah, like almost all of yeah. them. I feel like we normally agree way too. We much. even did the same thought process on the wins one and came to a different conclusion. Yeah. That's yeah. 
but I think, I think it was just, it's biases, you yeah. know, like we, we looked up numbers, but it didn't really affect what we thought. Yeah, that's probably right. true. I think that's what was happening. Um, all right. This is, this is it, but for you and I before the season, um, Thank you. It's been fun. I think we've yeah. amply, amply is that a word? We've, we've in depth covered the, uh, this team entering. Now we have the very limited data points and everything's going to, we're going to have some information here of real basketball. Are they actually going to be the fastest team in the world? How are they going to play defensively? What, are, what is Cat's shot distribution going to actually look like? That's going to all change all this months of, speculation by us is going to kind of fall by the wayside, but I think it's good. I think we fully covered a bad team. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we, I, an I average feel, team, an, an average. average team. Yeah. I'm, I took them for 30. So you think they're bad. I think they're good. <laughs> uh, well, I will have one more pod uh, with Brit on Monday, which will be, I guess that's two days right before the season. That'll be the final one before the season. And then um, we'll kind of just start churning from there. Mondays and Thursdays. I am going to be in Brooklyn and Charlotte uh, for the first two games of the season. So that might kind of mess up the end of the week pod. That's going to be awesome though. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I've never been, I've never been to, well, either of those stadiums. So oh, it'll yeah. be, um, yeah, I'm excited to see the Nets. Barclays will be cool. Yeah. It's a small team. Like see how the Wolves, mm-hmm. it's going to be, I think they're going to win that one. <sighs> I, they, they're gonna, that's a gut. They, they go, not. they go Brooklyn. Brooklyn on the road, Charlotte on the road, home versus Miami, road versus Philly. Like, they got to win one of those Charlotte or Brooklyn games. Yep. Like, have to, I'm, I don't know, <laughs> can't call it must-win territory when it's 0-0. Zero zero. But, like, it would just kind of suck if they're 0-4. And I think they're for sure going to lose to Philly on the road. And, and Miami's going to be tough. Tough. Jimmy home. Butler Even. is not going to want to lose that game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm excited it's here. It's, uh, yeah. It's fun. The game, it's what it's all about is actually, actually we made it. We made it. Um, thank you again. We've been getting a bunch of ratings and reviews. Please uh, keep doing that on iTunes. Uh, we're really trying to. Well, we crossed the hundred mark. So thanks we did. everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, we want everyone this, we want this to be your Wolves podcast and your friends Wolf pod, Wolves podcast <laughs> and all that. Uh, but we're going to keep doing it like this. Uh, obviously it'll take a little bit of a different tenor over the course of I don't know, the season where it's a little more reactive to what's been going on, but um, it's gonna be more of this. So please subscribe, tell your friends, um, do a review. Those are, those are fun to read. Uh, we appreciate that. Charlie is at C John's MBA. Take a look at what he's going to be writing, what I'm going to be writing uh, leading up to games next week at zonecoverage.com. Plenty of Timberwolves stuff is going to be there. Probably more words than you can handle, but, but try. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. Uh, talk to you on Monday. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.